Well, it's super humbling to be here. So much goes through my mind. In a lot of ways, this was a, a, a talk that's really close to my heart, and I think in a lot of ways it was really easy to come up with. But in a lot of ways, it was difficult just because it was so overwhelming. I came up with so many different points I wanted to talk about, so many different angles, and I felt like God was kind of moving me back and forth in a lot of different ways. My dad offered to give me the CD of me doing that talk like 10 years ago, and I was like, please, no. I do not <laughs> want to listen to that. Oh, my gosh. That definitely would have psyched me out. Um, so I'm sure this talk will be very different, but hopefully you'll be able to see that God has taught me a lot since then, uh, because He certainly has. I want to start with the quote, if you guys are familiar with Oswald Chambers, and he says this, Many of us prefer to stay at the threshold of the Christian life instead of going on to construct a soul in accordance with the new life God has put within. We fail because we are ignorant of the way we are made. We put things down to the devil instead of our own undisciplined natures. Think of what we can be when we are aroused. How awesome is that? If you guys have never read Oswald Chambers, he is the best. You need to get him and listen, and, and listen to him, read him a lot. But to me, that, that is the greatest travesty of Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity does more harm than I think living against the gospel. Watering down the gospel, watering down what God has asked us to do is the worst thing you can do. And to me, what I'm going to talk about is if you are living a mediocre life with God and you're not willing to do hard things, in my mind, you've completely missed what the gospel is about. You're either not reading it or you simply don't know it or you've read it and you've completely missed the heart of it. If you understand what the gospel is, you will desire to do hard things. So what I want to do is I want to kind of fly through. Um, there's no way I can comprehensively attack all of these, kind of like what Leslie was saying. I think the purpose of this morning is to really rouse you and get you to think about some points. So at the very least, I would encourage you to write down the points because they're pretty self-explanatory and they'll give you a lot to think about, a lot to pray about. If you don't do anything with this talk after this, this was pointless. The point of this is to get you thinking. The point of this is to get you asking questions. And it's okay if you don't agree with me right off the bat, but I would encourage you to go and pray about it, to think about it, talk with your leaders about it, talk with your peers about it. Um, because I think that there's different levels of kind of knowing the gospel and knowing the truths of God. And too often we, we kind of arrogantly sit back and think, oh, I know, I know this, I know this. But as I've gotten older and as I've walked with God longer, I'm starting to realize I've come to know the truths that I know at a much deeper level. And they start to play out in my life at a much greater level. And so that's what my desire for you this morning is, for you to get a better, more clear picture about what the gospel really is and what it really calls us to do. Because hard things are at the very heart of that. And so hopefully I'll be kind of defining what hard things is and what we mean by that. So I want to give you some quick reflections. Number one, and this may sound a little silly, doing hard things never stops being hard. Doing hard things never stops being hard. I think that we fail so often because we do things based on our feeling and based on our own temperament. I had read a really good quote a while ago, and I couldn't find it last minute. It hit me last minute. I couldn't find it on my phone. But it basically said something like, 
you know, that we follow God along the lines of our own temperament instead of along the lines of God. And I was like, ah, man, that's convicting. Because that is so true. I wait till I do something until I feel like doing it. Oh, I'll cultivate that desire later. That's going to hit me later when I'm more mature, when I'm older. You know, I'll sacrifice more. I'll be willing. And this, that's just not the case. I've looked time and time again at the people that I see actually making a difference on the kingdom. And these are people that have cultivated devotion into their life. They have decided to be devoted to God and they do the things that devoted people do. And as they do those things, their hunger for those things grow. But they don't wait until they're ready to be into the Word, until they want to be in the Word, and until they grab, uh, dive into the Word. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But I think some of the things that keep us away and shy away from doing hard things are a lot of the lies that we buy into. And I think one of them is just this sick belief that God wants me to be happy. God doesn't want me to be uncomfortable. God is not overly worried if you are happy. God is not overly worried if you're comfortable. And if you think that is, the tr- that is false, you need to look at the Gospel. I think one of the most telling Scriptures about Jesus was this was a man that had no place to lay his head. And I feel like that is a definition of his life. He was always doing something with a purpose. And he, he could have been very comfortable and he chose not to be. He chose not to be. He chose to be born in a manger. He chose to work with very difficult people in spite of their weaknesses, people that betrayed Him and turned away from Him and didn't understand Him. He chose that for a reason. I think there's another one. I think a lot of these lies that we buy into are kind of like half-truths. Like God loves me just the way I am. I think there's some truth in that. He loves you where you are. But He doesn't love you staying there. Amen? He doesn't want you staying there. And I think there is a, there's a truth that really opened my eyes a lot, and it just said that God is easily pleased, but He's not easily satisfied. And too often we just kind of want to throw these things up to Him, and then we think that He's satisfied. Oh, I kind of did my daily thing. You know, I did my little daily uh, good deed. I did my one-on-one. I went to Wednesday night group. I went to Sunday church. Uh, whatever that is, and we kind of think that God's satisfied with that. And that is so not true. I think another one is that if it's not easy, it's not God's will. Or maybe along with that, this kind of, I think this can be tricky, is that if it's God's will, God's will, He's going to make our paths straight and He's going to kind of clear everything out of the way and as a result, it's going to be easy. I don't think that's the case all the time. Do I think He can do that? Certainly. Does He open and close doors? Certainly. Does He move in profound ways? Yes, He does. But living a life for God is hard. Why else say, take heart, I have overcome the world? Because it's discouraging. Living a life for God is hard. We call it simple Christianity. We don't call it easy Christianity. And if we buy into that, then we're selling that to other people, aren't we? And if we sell it to other people, once we start to string them along, they start to kind of get to where some of the disciples started to get, and it's like, this is really hard. This is not what I thought it was. We face that a lot in teen ministry, especially when we go to teen camp. A lot of the teens kind of get this emotional high when they 
by the end of the camp. And that's a great thing. I think God moves in that way certainly. But I think it can be misleading if you don't deal with it because then we get back and we get down into the valley and God starts wanting us to do the basics again. Back to the basic training. Back to the unglamorous things that nobody sees that doesn't seem to pay off right away that's really hard and painful and sacrificial. And when that feeling goes away, you know, they just kind of lose that awesome view of God. And they're like, oh, I think that was just kind of some random feeling. That wasn't really God. I was just excited about having a good week and playing games with my friends. That wasn't really God. And then we start to doubt. And so that's what happens if we fall along the line of our temper, temperament and our feelings. We have to remember, um, it's kind of like God equating love and obedience together. I know that you love me when you obey me. It's not all based on feeling. And we have to be very careful not to project our humanity onto God. I think that he's impatient because I'm impatient. Right? And so I I could talk a lot about that, but I won't. But I think we have to be very careful about that. Um, Thinking that I don't feel like doing this, and so God's not calling me to do it um, because I don't feel I'm being moved in that direction. Yet all the people around me are telling me that God is moving me in that direction. Do I think God moves us at a heart level and a feeling level sometimes? I think He does, but I think we've come to expect that and we shouldn't. God moves through the body. And if your leaders, if your godly friends are telling you to do something or not to do something or to cut something out of your life, you need to seriously consider it. To me, doing hard things is kind of synonymous with the narrow road, isn't it? He said the road that leaves, that leads to life is hard. There shouldn't be any question. It is hard. But isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it? Amen. Think about all the people that, that are here that wouldn't be here if people hadn't done hard things. Would you be here if somebody hadn't done something hard? No. That to me is heartbreaking. At the end of the day, at the foundational level, that's why we're here. We're just puny humans trying to talk about a great God and trying to convince people how great our God is and that He is worth talking about and He is worth giving ultimately everything up for, isn't He? Everything. But we, we, we nitpick as we buy into this. And I, and I think Satan's really good about it. And I have to consistently do this on a daily, weekly basis is still look and see how I'm partly buying into the lies the world tells me. You know, just about what is enough. I'm doing enough. And we compare to other people. I'm doing a lot of good things. And, um, you know... I'm satisfied with this. Everybody else should be satisfied with this. Because it's hard to encourage people to do more all the time, isn't it? And it's hard to listen to your leaders as they're always asking for more. It's like, come on. I'm just one human. I can't do everything. I can't be perfect. We understand that. But again, what's going on in our mind is that the rewards and the consequences are eternal. Aren't they? So we have to learn not to take it all so personal. It's not. We're in training. We have the good news. The only thing that should matter to us is giving other people the good news. And everything in our life and everything we do in our life should be done in that context and thought about in that context. 
So it's certainly not for the faint of heart. And so again, that's what I think we, we, where we do a big justice is when we convince people that this is going to be easy, that doing the tough things is only for the Brad Davis or the Leslie or the Ronnie or the leaders. It's not. It's for every man and woman of God. Isn't it? Now, Brad's hard things certainly look different than my hard things and your hard things, but we're all called to do hard things because the way that leads to life is hard. And it's hard because of the world we live in. It's hard because of our fleshly nature. We constantly want to be our own God. And at the end of the day, you have to make that decision. Are you going to be God or is God going to be God? Are you going to be God or is God going to be God? I'd also say doing hard things is the proper response to the gospel. I kind of alluded to this. I think of Mark 8, 34 and 35. Jimmy and told me not to paraphrase, but I'm going to paraphrase the first one. Where it just talks about denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. Denying yourself and taking up your cross daily. We have become very bad about identifying with multiple things. I am a skater. I am an athlete. I am strong. I am pretty. I am nerdy. We should not be identifying with those things. We identify as men and women of God only. Because the other things that I do may change, right? If I'm passionate about music, God may let that be a part of my life, but He may not. Uh, Music is not really a part of my life. I don't play guitar. I don't do any of that. But I'll tell you, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody more passionate about music. If, If I could create more hours in the day, I would be doing a lot of things with music. I love music. It moves me. I think it moves most of us, but it really moves me. It really inspires me. And it's something that I use a lot in my car um, just to, to speak to me and minister to me. But I don't feel like that's where God's moved me. But if I identify myself as a musician, then I justify everything else in my life so I can be a musician. But I'm not a musician. I'm just God's man. And I'll do whatever He wants me to do, whether I want to do it or not. It's not based on skills. And we make too many excuses based on what we think God has gifted us with. It's not about that. Moses didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. I mean, you could go down the list, right? Think about how many people didn't want want to do what God wanted them to do or didn't feel like that they were qualified or didn't feel like they had the skills. When has that ever been a factor with God? When has it ever been a factor in his ability to be successful? It never has. And we have to start understanding, I think in order to get ourselves there, we have to start remembering that success is simply obedience. It's not what we think is successful. Because I'll tell you a great part of ministry, you're not going to get to see a lot of great things happen. Um, That's something I encourage my youth workers with a lot of a lot because I face discouragement I know they face discouragement we spend so much time planting seeds you spend so much time planting seeds and you may get to see some of that grow but a lot of times it's someone else that finally gets to put that water on it and, and it grow for whatever reason and maybe they'll come back and tell you and you get to be encouraged by that and maybe you'll never know what happened to them yeah. but are we only going to do ministry with people if God guarantees us that 
Because at the end of the day, if that's what we're doing, if that's the way we're functioning it, we're really just doing it for ourselves, right? I'm not reaching people for me or to bring them to me. I'm reaching them for God, to go to God because I love my Jesus. Don't you? I love my Jesus. And the more time I spend with Him, the more I love Him. But I think doing hard things comes out of an attitude of whatever it takes. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes. This mission is an all or nothing deal. God didn't want anything between. He says, I want your all or I want your nothing. I'd rather you be on fire for me or to be lukewarm. What do you do with lukewarm water? How useful is lukewarm water? And you certainly don't like drinking it unless you're weird. It's disgusting. There's not anything you can do with it really. The gospel lives because the early Christians died for it. And I don't know about you, but I think about this a lot. And I don't know if it's cheesy to you, but I, I, I get excited reminding myself that I am a part of the same story as Matthew and Mark and Luke and Moses and Elijah. I think sometimes when things are far away, it almost feels like fairy tale, like... I know it's real. It's like Jamie and I were super blessed and we got to go to Italy a few, couple months ago. And it's like, I know Italy's over there, but it almost seems fake and you get over there and, it, and it's, it's disorienting. It's weird taking it all in, looking at these things that are thousands of years that have existed before I even existed. It's a strange thought to me. Because we are a part of the same storyline. We are a part of the same vision and we have it because they died for it. And people after us will have it. And more people after us will have it when we are willing to die for it. Amen? I think we get... Think of the word I want to use here. Uh, I don't know if that's a misconception. I think we fool ourselves... And I think a lot of this comes from pride. We, we think that we like to kind of puff ourselves up thinking, you know, we, we hear a story of somebody dying for Christ or doing something really difficult and we get really excited about it. I would do that, you know, and we start wanting God to kind of give us that. But I think if you really analyze it more often than not, it's because we want people to see how godly we are. But when you look at Jesus, there was nothing glamorous about his death. He died naked and bleeding and slobbering and puffing for breath in front of his mom and best friends. It's completely humiliating. The question is, is if you're a follower of Christ, are you willing to follow him to that? Are you willing to be humiliated and misunderstood for him? Because too often we play kind of Barbie dress up with Jesus and God, and we kind of make Him what we want Him to be. And we, we struggle a lot with this. I think this is probably one of the biggest, I think, kind of forms of persecution in our day, and you guys have probably talked about this a great deal, is just this idea of subjective reality. Your truth is your truth. It's so foolish. It's so foolish. Oh, my gosh. It's so laughable. That's so laughable. 
But, but it leads us... What's that? But it leads us down... I have no idea what's happening. It leads us down the wrong road. Um, and so as a result, we justify kind of making our own Jesus. We want Him to be comforting. We don't want Him to step on toes, and so our Jesus doesn't step on toes. Our Jesus justifies, oh, you can go serve God wherever you go, so just go wherever you want. What? How do you read the Gospel and get that truth out of there? I have no idea. Is God wherever we go? Yeah. Can He bless anything you can do? Yeah, certainly. But that doesn't mean that He didn't desire for you to do something different. We need to be looking for God's calling. We need to be looking to see the God here. I am who I am. He doesn't change. And too often we think we know God and we don't. We know some pseudo-God. But there's a lot of people that are going to say, Father, Father, on that day, right? And He's going to say, Away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. This brings me to another point. It's best done with God. Doing hard things is best done with God. And I was just thinking about the idea, and this is something that I would say just kind of in analyzing my own life, uh, worry may be a strong word, but I, I think one of the things that scares me is the idea of me not being genuine about my faith. I don't want to be working for God. I want to be working with God. And too often we're out there doing a lot of things for God, like Leslie is talking about. And I'm right there with you. I'm not rubbing your noses in it. The challenge is real. It is hard. Um, And we all fall victim to it where we go and we do one-on-ones. Maybe we're doing multiple one-on-ones. Maybe we're reading scriptural books. Maybe we actually have a spiritual mentor. But then when it comes to our one-on-one time, we're not spending intimate time with God. If that's the case, God is your acquaintance. He is just your acquaintance. And your relationship with Him will reflect that. And your ability to minister other people will reflect that. It's a scary thing to me to think about God one day saying, Away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. Because at the end of the day, so many people get this so wrong. This is not a moral code. God is not trying to make us good. He is trying to make us godly. He just wants intimacy with us. That is the gospel, isn't it? How do we wrap our minds around that? I do not deserve intimacy with God. I do not deserve intimacy with God. This is incredibly humbling being able to speak to you. And I was saying the same thing to my youth workers the other day, and I know they can relate. It's, why does God allow me to do this? I have no idea. And I, and I, and I think and hope most of you guys can relate. I am not good. And the older I get, and I'll tell you the key, is the, on, the more honest I get with myself, the less I become and the more He becomes. You know, I, I remember being young and thinking about talks and like really being nervous, thinking about doing a good job. And the older I've gotten, the more I've just become worried about you getting it. I just want you to get it. I want you to see the heart of God behind what I'm saying. And I want you to go and take that next step in your faith. That next step in your tenacity and your zeal and your ability and willingness to live for God. Amen? Amen.
some, some kind of practicals. Doing hard things is the way we grow. This is my third point. Doing hard things is the way we grow. I think a lot of us miss the fact that the Bible is like a sword. And you can wield it for good and you can wield it for bad. And if you don't know the Word of God well, you better bet your booty that you're wielding it poorly. And you may be doing damage. This is no light matter. And too many of us think that reading the Word of God is for the scholars. It's not. Disciple means... Learner. Student. That is what we identify with. I am a follower of Christ. I am a good student of Christ. I am a learner of Christ. That's why we always say that axiom leaders are readers. Because the life of the Christian is progressive in nature. We are always growing closer to God. We are always seeking growth. And we can never self-actualize. We can never be good enough. It's not about being good enough. It's about me wanting to be as close to Jesus as I possibly can get. Because the closer I get to Him, the greater He becomes and the more I want Him. If you're not desiring God right now, if you don't feel that need and that excitement to go be in, your, in the Word and spend time with Jesus, you have a problem. You have a problem. And it's a telling one because it means that you're not spending time in the Word. People that love the Word cultivate it. That doesn't come easy to anybody. I think about my dad. I'm not sure about him in a bit, but I think about my dad growing up ever since I can remember. And I usually wasn't up early enough to see it. But as far as I know, every morning he is up spending time with God. Every morning. And it's like we just kind of toss that up as that's only for the great ones. The reason that he's great, if we were going to use that word about a human, is because he does that. You don't think that you would benefit from being in the Word every day? Do you not think that you would reach more people if you were in the Word every day? I think most of us know we would. But we have to get over this idea of being intimidated by the Bible. You're going to be intimidated by the Bible as long as you're not in it. Once you get familiar with it and you know what it is, funny thing happens is it's not so intimidating anymore. So, I think some of the defining spiritual disciplines that make us followers of Christ is reading the Word, being in prayer, and spending time with the body. And I think too often we're really, really good about spending time with the body, but we're really bad about spending time in prayer and spending time in the Word. And there's a lot that could be said about prayer. Um, I think that we have a lot of kind of truths that we throw out, but they're, they're truths that aren't really owned in our heart. You know, it's kind of like, I think we've done a decent job of starting to kind of dispel the myth of, you know, at least I can pray. You know, when we ask what we can do for somebody, at least I can pray. At most I can pray. At most I can pray. And even if we're those people that say that, do you just say that or do you really believe that? Because you look at Paul and you look at his ministry and at the heart of everything he did was the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit was a historical reality to him. It was a reality. 
They didn't do anything apart from it. They wouldn't consider because they knew that all power, everything happens through the Spirit of God. You can do nothing. You on your own can do nothing. At best, you're seeing God work through your paltry efforts. But God can work a lot better through your big efforts. He blesses people that give their all and blesses people that give big investments. And we see that time and time again. Um, I came across, a, if you're familiar with St. Francis of Assisi, he uh, has a really neat quote. And if you don't know who that is, just look him up later. He says, start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you are doing the impossible. But you see where you start? You start by doing what's necessary. We want the impossible. We want God to move us through the impossible. But we're not willing to do what's necessary to get there. If you're faithful in the small things, you'll be faithful in the big things. But we only want to be faithful in the big things because that's what looks great. We are not here because we are good. We are here because God is good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You are not good. You are not good. You have no goodness in you. I think back to what he said, that man's heart is wicked all the time. The more honest I get, the more I see that in my life. It prepares us for harder things. You know, it's kind of like, I don't use a lot of sport metaphors by any means, but, um, you know, it's kind of like skipping practice, not wanting to do your basic drills, but then expecting God to put you in for the big play. It's like, what? Of course not. Sit down. You're not going out there. You've got to be kidding me. Why do we think God works differently? Why would God choose you for that big task? If your faith doesn't show that you believe in Him and His power day to day, why would He choose you for the big stuff? Because He's not worried about you being glorified. He's worried about Him being glorified. And He's going to pick the people that are willing and best suited to glorify Him. Amen? Kind of moving on to the end here. Um, Doing hard things makes all the difference. That's my last point. Doing hard things makes all of the difference. Now, I love this. uh, Just popped in my mind, and I think I have a picture of it. It's going to be strange that I'm quoting her. Um, So, Amy Poehler, I started reading her book, and honestly, it was too nasty. I stopped reading it. I just couldn't get through it. However, I was glad I read the part I did because there was a really, really neat quote in there. And she says, I believe great people do things before they are ready. I believe great people do things before they are ready. And that's how we should learn to function in light of our God, in light of His power, in light of what He has consistently done through His people over the last thousands of years. He has a really good track record, doesn't He? We know what He's capable of doing. I'm not going to get up and speak because I'm not the most eloquent person. It's like, what? 
I'm not going to go reach out to that person at that table over there that the Holy Spirit's pushing me to go reach out to because I don't know what to say, because I don't know enough of the Word. What? Isn't that just so nonsensical? It is completely about Jesus. And He is the only one working. Do I think that eloquence can be powerful? I certainly do. And I think God can bless that. Do I think God blesses us planning out our talks and investing in those things? I think He does. But I think we've come to depend on ourselves too much and our skills and our aptitudes versus just God's. It's certainly not an excuse for me not to invest and not to plan and not to be sharp. I do my best, but then I know that all of my inadequacies don't matter. And at the end of the day, aren't they a great thing? If God only used capable people, how convincing is that to our world? God uses weak people to shame the strong. He uses weak people to shame the strong. Because the world's idea of of strong is completely inverted from ours, isn't it? That's what we're in the business of doing. We're in the business of being okay with being weak and being okay with people seeing our weaknesses. Because it's in those moments we can say, I know, but look what God did. And so I, I think... We have to learn to be those types of ministers, not the types of ministers that have it all together, not the types of ministers that dress real real nice and are the funniest and the most exciting and the most entertaining. And we have no flaws. We are just beggars showing other beggars where to find food. Amen? You know, I think, and they wouldn't want me to mention this, and I won't talk much, but... um, people that I think about making all the difference in the small, hard ways, Leslie and Kurt. How many people will you find that will drive back and forth from Denton and Plano and Garland and Wiley and make these long commutes for long periods of time? They would move their whole family into a house where a whole nother family already lives. What about that sounds comfortable or easy? that would move from their church plant with all of their friends and their home and their jobs 45 to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour away to look for new jobs and make new friends. What about that is easy? If you're thinking, oh, I'll do that, but you're not spending time day to day in a relationship with God, you're going to realize that when God calls you to do the big stuff, it's not glamorous. And Leslie and Kirk can tell you that. It's hard. It's discouraging. It is not for the faint of heart. I think about my dad getting up every day and reading the Word of God. And the older he gets, he continues to ask questions. He never got too old for a spiritual mentor. You, you've got a 65... How old is my dad? 65? Um, 65-ish, 4-ish year old man that's been doing ministry for decades that is still learning, still asking questions, still open to correction. But that is because he knows the heart of God. He's not a perfect man. He's flawed just like all of us. And he'd be the first to tell you that. But he's been able to have a huge impact on the kingdom because he cultivated devotion in his life. 
He decided what was most important and then He just did it. Are many of you familiar with Matt Wilcox? Was he out here at one point? No? He's just been out here once. Matt Wilcox is one of my... <laughs> Matt Wilcox is one of my youth workers. Um, he's recently out of college. And, and I think about him. And there's a lot of stories like him. But um, this is a guy that works full-time all day. Will go to teen group. And then after teen group, do his one-on-one with a teen in our ministry because that's the only night that teen can get together. And he doesn't get paid for that. And most people don't know that besides me. Why would he do that? I think about Tyler, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, um, was really big into golf. And like most people that justify going and pursuing their hobby and justify pursuing the school that they want to go to, um, he decided, you know what, I'm going to take advice. I feel like God's calling me here. I feel like I can do more for God here. And he chose to do that. And now he is leading our teen ministry in Wiley with my sister. Think about what's at stake. If he had justified going and pursuing golf, where would his life be? Where would my sister's life be? Where would all of the lives of the teens and the parents in our teen ministry be? We had a a, a pretty neat story. Um, One of our teens, Elijah, the other day, uh, at our big fundraiser for our teen ministry called Spring Hita, many of you are probably at. He missed his ride to Spring Hita because he was still asleep. Well, then he woke up and realized after reading the text from his youth worker that he didn't have a ride anymore because they had to go on. He got on his bike and rode 17 miles to Spring Hita. And it's silly and it's crazy, but guys, I say that's telling How many people do we have that stay home because they're tired, because they have a headache, because they have a sniffle, because their alternator died? What? Look how many people are in this room that would go pick you up. How is that a reason to miss spending time with the body? Why should we feel in danger of being legalistic every time we ask somebody to be here? Give me a break. You're just being a pansy. Right? Is that an appropriate word to use? Hopefully. We'll find out later. But we have a lot of mamby pamby people, don't we? Uh, um, I want to read you one more quote. If you're familiar with Chuck Swindoll, he says, Remember, Intimacy is never natural, automatic, quick, or easy. Show me someone who is intimate with God, and I will show you someone who can be compared to a beautiful garden without weeds. Remember, intimacy is never natural, automatic, quick, or easy. Show me someone who is intimate with God, and I will show you someone who can be compared to a beautiful garden without weeds. Many of us are spending no time picking out the weeds in our life. We spend plenty picking them out of other people's lives, but we don't pick them out of ours. We have to be people that are not willing to do the hard thing, but we're people that are willing to do the hard things. 
I'm going to leave you with the scripture and then I'm going to pray. Galatians 6 9. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. God, I just uh, can't thank you enough for this body. I thank you for all of these hearts and minds that are just attuned to you, that are attuned to your mission and your vision, uh, that seek to glorify you in their lives, uh, that seek for the world to know you. I pray that you continue to, in my own life, as well as my brothers and sisters here, that you imprint on our hearts the urgency of what we are doing, uh, that you imprint on our heart, your heart, that we can... uh, that we can cultivate intimacy in our life with you. And as we do that, that uh, you in a clear way show us who you really are, uh, what a life with you looks like and how powerful that is. And that we be people that are constantly looking just to dispel the lies and myths that we buy into um, and that we're very sharp about that so we can be as effective for your kingdom as possible. We love you. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at dentonnorthchurch.com.